This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, one of your hosts. I am joined by my good friends. First, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. I am right now kind of in this weird never world because Ultimo Dragon reappeared in Drangate today. And that was wild and weird. And 2019 has just been a wild and weird year. So I'm still kind of like making sense of it now that we are in June. How are you doing, AB? I'm doing fine. Uh, I don't really have anything exciting to bring to this part of the show. So <laughs> set a very nondescript day. So uh, let's talk to our, our third co-host or our third host, however you want to say it. It's Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hi, what's up, guys? Um, I'm relatively fried from my day at work, but I got a new shipment of some uh, just fantastic succulents. So I'm going to try and not kill these ones. Oh. But uh, so I'm looking forward to hopefully getting some real uh, succulent action popping off here. Is this a, is this an indoor gimmick or an outdoor gimmick? Indoor gimmick. Okay. I got, I got a mix of some that require the bright direct sunlight that are right on the sill here. And then I got some indirect sunlights in the other room. Okay, I, I guess I would I would have assumed it would be hard for you to do outdoor anything in Chicago well, got, Chicago area. Right, yeah, in terms of weather, I suppose. Um, but yeah, who's who's trying to go outdoors anyway? Fuck that. Yeah, not me. I, I guess I could have said, you know, we're talking about getting things. I did, um, in a moment of weakness at about 2 a.m., uh, spend $50 on a Hanukkah t-shirt that's going to arrive in about three weeks. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> Now, did, you have to, did you have to do a, uh, a, a shipping service for that? Uh, no. So Stardom has an international store. And what happens on that? Well, I've never ordered from them before, but they tell you that it's 21 days shipping. So, so it's, it's just sunny somewhere in Japan putting it in a box for you. Yes. Yeah. At so, least one of us is going to be getting our T-shirt from a, a TCS wrestler. Oh, yeah. Is that actually coming? I have no idea. So okay. just just so like we're not we're not leaving people out in the dark. I tried to get Konami's Triangle Lancer T-shirt, and I had to use a packing service. And the old company that she used to work for that used to take care of her merch mailed it to my packing company, and it never got delivered. So mm. I'm out thirty bucks. So yeah. Well, this was this whole thing where these shirts had sold out really quickly when they first went up the Hana shirts. And I don't know, I just saw it up and there was one available and I just, I don't know, just impulsively bought it. So there you go. This it would have been more authentic if you just bought a Slipknot t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I should have done. Is this the one where she's doing the Hago face? Sure. Yeah, don't, let's move on. Yep, Slide sorry. Right past that. I'm not going <laughs> to uh, expose our poor AB to that sort of lewdness. Uh, Thank you. Thank I'm not you. I thought of like I, I've seen this discussed in a in a group chat, and I thought about googling it, and I just decided not to. So wise, I haven't done that. Okay, if that didn't tell you that you need to subscribe to this show, I don't know what will. Make sure you're subscribed so you can check in with us every week as soon as the show goes up. Usually on Thursday nights, you can subscribe to the independent feed that you can find on the podcast app of your choice. Or you can get us on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, along with all the other shows on the network. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. We're at everything AEW. You can follow me at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. And Mike is at Fujiheya. That's two eyes, like Don Fuji. 
Thank you for getting the whole phrase right. I appreciate it. <laughs> got to, got to. All right. We don't have, you know, we don't have two and a half hours of content like we did last week, breaking down double or nothing, but we got some things to talk about. We have some literally hot off the presses, fresh notes on double or nothing pay-per-view numbers that we're going to break down. We're going to talk about the build uh, toward Fighter Fest and the new Road to Fighter Fest series. Mike is going to tell us about OWE and visas. And of course, Nate's going to break down this week's Being the Elite. So let's jump right into it. First, I want to talk about what we know coming out of Double or Nothing. And in the Wrestling Observer newsletter that went up just a few minutes ago uh, here on Thursday night, Dave Meltzer reported that Double or Nothing is estimated at somewhere between 98,500 and 113,000 buys worldwide. Uh, the best estimate has the U.S. pay-per-view buys at around 71,000 with almost an exact 50-50 split between television and BR Live. Very notable because the split is usually closer closer to about 85-15. So I want to start there before we get any further into some really wild math that uh, Dave Meltzer brought us this week. But there is some interesting stuff in it. But let's start there. What do we think first, uh, Nate, about the amount of buys? You think that's positive? A uh, good place to build. Just how does it strike you? Yeah, uh, the amount is uh, better than expected, I think, at least on my part. Uh, you know, again, we sort of were throwing out numbers previously that were not based really in anything. Um, but, you know, you compare the total amount of buys to the WWE's buys currently, the WWE's buys prior to the network starting, and then other companies like TNA's buys or ECW's buys. And uh, this compares favorably to all of those. Uh, I think the more interesting part, even if it's like sort of maybe specious uh, that Dave does, is the math about shared audience between all those companies. Um, but yeah, I think this has to be considered a, a success, especially when they haven't started TV yet. I'll say just to take a big L for myself here that I said privately that there was nothing they could do to get 100,000 buys on this show. I just didn't think that was possible. And clearly they did. So it uh, shows what I know. But uh, Mike, do you have any thoughts on the the buyer numbers? Yeah, I think it. I mean, I'll take my L on guessing the worldwide buyers as well. I didn't think that come close to this. Which, hey, I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot. Anyways, uh, I think it's really interesting how strongly it was perched purchased outside the United States, in particular, talking about ITV4 and Fight internationally, just because of that's a strong percentage. So. If we're guessing that there were at the high end about 113,000 and 71,000 came from the United States, that means that at least a third was outside of the United States. And if these are the ITV buys, as I'm trying to parse through Dave's numbers, that's a huge percentage of people that are willing to watch the show at midnight to 4 a.m. So I think that's very, very promising. And yeah, I mean... We'll get into like the uh, weird comparative analysis that Dave does, but just overall from the stuff that we can make sense of, I think this is really promising. And I mean, Impact's greatest pay-per-view was the cage between Samojo and Kurt Angle, and that was, what, 63,000, I think? Or it was in the 60,000. So they're already doing incredibly well in that regard, especially considering the, the price point that we thought was going to be cost prohibitive. And that was when TNA had TV, so that's... right. And good TV. Yeah, that's that, another big L for all of us is the price point did not seem to matter. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, yeah. is that an L for us? 
like they did a ton of buys. Does that tell us that they wouldn't have done more buys at a lower price point or just that there's a bigger audience than we thought? I think it's kind of hard to say, at least from a first time purchase, because you you do give up the people that would that like this 113,000 would would have bought up to 50, but where are you going to make up the money back from your split when it's at $35, $20? Like you have to get so many more extra buys per each one there to make up for it. So I mean, I guess it at the very least we know that it could maybe be 130,000, maybe 150,000, but it might not have made the most amount of money. So, I mean, at least from a cost benefit analysis, I would say that they did all right on that and that we were wrong. Well, I want to take another angle on that, but we have to discuss these numbers first before I can get this takeoff. So hopefully I'll remember to do it. But basically Dave goes through and talks about how money in the bank did 15,700 traditional pay-per-view buys. Of course, as everyone knows, the WWE network exists and streams WWE's pay-per-views for $9.99 a month. So there are 15,700 people on top of that who decided to spend, I think it's $65 to purchase WWE Money in the Bank so they could watch it on television. Now, of those, roughly 397 of, of the 15,700 who purchased Money in the Bank, roughly, I'm going to just say 400 of those also purchased double or nothing. Okay. And we go in a lot of ways from here. So I want to make sure everybody understands the basic premise that about 400 of the 15,000 people who bought money in the bank also bought double or nothing. Okay. Now you have to take into account what we just said about the WWE network. There's a lot more people who watched money in the bank on the WWE network, right? So if we're trying to figure out how many people watch double or nothing, who watched money in the bank, we've got to make some leaps based on what we know about uh, previous pay-per-view buys, what we know about the WWE Network, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm not going to take you through everything. If you want to read in this week's uh, Observer, you should. Uh, but basically, Dave comes to the conclusion that uh, about 78% of those in the United States who purchased Double or Nothing would not have watched Money in the Bank. So that's kind of the, the extent of the crossover is about... 22% of the people who watch Money in the Bank watch Double or Nothing or would have watched uh, Money in the Bank if they watched Double or Nothing. So uh, the basic premise of this being there's not a ton of crossover between WWE audience and AEW audience. A lot of people thought they were going to be trying or having to steal from WWE, but it looks like there's this whole uh, group of people out there who don't watch WWE who watch AEW or who wanted to watch AEW, or conversely, you could say there's a ton of people who watch WWE who have no interest in AEW. Kind of goes both ways. So, uh, your guys' thoughts on on that premise? So, his math seems uh, I don't know about dubious, but goofy. So, it's hard to to rely on the hard numbers. But <laughs> yes. from the from the general premise, uh, I think you can conclude or at least uh, surmise uh, some interesting things. One, Dave obviously has great sources with the pay-per-view companies because he's getting this hard data on shared buys between different pay-per-view uh, uh, pay-per-view events. Um, two, he also said on the podcast that the AEW audience trends much younger and more affluent than the WWE pay-per-view buying audience. So as we noted on the Twitter account, um, 
you you are in effect just comparing the WWE pay-per-view buyers that do not use the network to all AEW buyers. So you're you're necessarily going to get probably an older chunk of the WWE audience, or he also says maybe a richer chunk of the WWE audience or a chunk of the WWE audience without great internet. Um, but it, it all bodes well for AEW, I think, is the, the real takeaway. Because one, it means that their audience is largely lapsed fans that are um, that may represent a larger share of lapsed fans out there in the world that might just get tuned into it on TNT. Uh, two, it also means that they're not as dependent on trying to pull people away from WWE. And I think this sort of hints toward what we saw when Sami Zayn mentioned AEW on WWE. There was like a significant spike in Google searches for AEW. There are WWE fans that did not know AEW existed, that don't never followed Ring of Honor, don't follow YouTube series, uh, you know, only know New Japan is the place that AJ Styles came from. Uh, and all those people, when Sami Zayn mentioned AEW, were like, huh, what's that? Let's go find out what that is. So, you know, uh, whether that's them shooting themselves in, their, in the foot, I don't know. But it just means, I think, that really the rest, the potential wrestling audience is much, maybe not much, is larger than I might have assumed otherwise. I really thought that it was trending downward just as a result of poor quality product in the United States. And, uh, you know people, young people having other things to do and older people aging out of it or just only being in the WWE uh, uh, share of things. So I, I think this it bodes well in pretty much every way, uh, even if you don't get as hardcore into the data or the numbers or the you know weird numerology that Dave does. Yeah, and I think we also should say that Dave has been getting legit numbers from cable providers for decades now. So this is legit data like, I know him listing very specific numbers such as 397 is usually something you might raise an eyebrow to, but he's had ends with the cable companies and he's been getting those books for a long time. So I don't necessarily doubt the numbers. I'm, I'm usually someone that's kind of skeptical with stuff in that regard. But it, it's interesting to me because the uh, direct analog to this was how the Monday Night War was constantly competing over the same population. And this, and especially going off what Nate said, makes you think that there might be a path that WWE fans are WWE fans. They aren't necessarily going to stray out of that lane. But now there's this other parallel lane that might be a larger lane that exists of all these lapsed fans. And it's interesting to me. And as we also mentioned on Twitter, having these younger fans when part of their deal with Turner Media is that they get a downside on the ad split, but then they will get guaranteed ad split money as the ads come in. Advertisers loved 18 to 34. That is, if not the highest or the most expensive uh, demographic to advertise for, it's one of. I mean, outside of like trying to advertise to teen boys, 18 to 34 is what you try to pay as much as you can. So with the WWE's demo getting older and older and how much work they had to do to get these these advertising companies to want to advertise for them, then that this is possible cash flow on top of the ad downside. And this is something that, at least for profitability, which would mean long-term existence for AEW, this is a very promising number, at least fact in my mind. I guess 
I've just always thought that the lapsed fan thing was a myth. Not that there aren't lots of lapsed fans out there. Of course there are. But that they could ever be drawn back. I kind of thought a lot of these people had left wrestling forever. And it's interesting to me that this seems to be, and it's one data point, you know, so we shouldn't get too excited. Yeah, we need to see a lot more data. But it's possible that there is, uh, that there are a lot of people, I mean, they would have bought this pay-per-view without any television build. It's just hard to see how they even found out about it. You know, I don't know. It 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 makes me uh, curious. But what I wanted to get back to about the TV point was maybe we weren't wrong. Or just maybe we didn't think of it this way. My argument was, I mean, this is an easy argument, is that people are conditioned to paying 10 bucks. So, or 20 bucks for like Ring of Honor. So why would they pay uh, 50 bucks or whatever for this show? But what this data may tell us is there's this whole universe of people who weren't paying 10 bucks for WWE. They'd never been conditioned to pay that. So it didn't seem bizarre to them to pay 50 bucks for a pay-per-view. Maybe that's kind of uh, what was going on under underneath that could show you a bigger boost in numbers than we would expect. But that also tells us, or it could tell us, that with a lower price, I'm, I'm still not convinced you couldn't have brought in a lot more people because um you know lo lower price brings in more people that's just that's uh that's just uh, <laughs> well, uh, dave math right mm -hmm. now if you say that to dave he'll disagree with you 100 because whenever right. that comes up he uses the example of the in your house pay-per-views where they knocked up the price and started getting more buys after they increased the price um <laughs> but the product was getting hotter at that but time. that's the yeah. oh, right and if you ignore the context that's the only convincing data point but when people tell me like hey uh, Mayweather Pacquiao, a ton of people bought that for hundred bucks. Yeah, it was hot as fuck. Like, <laughs> of course, people would yeah. pay whatever for that. This is a product that did not exist. You so know, that, so uh, his other thing he says all the time is, if people want to watch it, they're going to pay for it regardless of the price. So I think really the raw number of viewers is what's most impressive here because a yeah. hundred thousand people at least wanted to watch this so badly that they were going to pay whatever price for it, and we don't see. 100,000 viewers on BTE videos. We don't see, um, you know, 100,000 retweets on, uh, you know, their their tweets or whatever. Like, there is definitely a larger portion of elite interested wrestling people that uh, have not been tapped yet. Uh, maybe it's just because, you know, AEW hasn't run events in their area yet. Or maybe those are, you know, that amorphous blob of, of ring of honor viewers that were watching on networks and weren't really counted well, but are now willing to follow the actual stars of that promotion into this new promotion. Um, but uh, again, it all just, there, there's no way to read it poorly. I think uh, just the sheer mass of the number suggests there's a larger audience out there. And hopefully the, that larger audience is indicative of a larger number of lapsed fans that watched on Turner back in the day, or, you know, uh, have dipped their toe into, impact or whatever it, it whatever uh, point over the years and just uh, you know don't don't fuck with the wwe at all because you know they were up on the fact that it's bad i have one weird uh, rabbit trail that i would like to go on down on for like a minute and go down on that rabbit trail yeah. so <laughs> so i'm looking at our tremendous show notes of where we have all our topics here and there is a fact that Double or Nothing did its best numbers in markets that you'd expect where wrestling was strongest in the 80s, notably New York, Chicago, Baltimore, Atlanta, 
DC, but killed it in upstate New York. I don't know this, but maybe having, I don't know what their whole entire advertising thing was done outside of things that we've covered. There could have been a chance that they've done targeted local advertising as well. And that could be, and that's something that WWE does not do very well. That's something that ring of honor has done terribly throughout the time. So seeing like that, these numbers were very high in these areas that were former wrestling areas and how much Tony Khan has talked about capturing lapsed fans. I would be very interested to hear if somehow that there was some sort of area advertising. And if you advertise in Atlanta, you could also get some overlap down into North Florida with Jacksonville. So you could be doing that as well. And that's going to be somewhat their home base. That's just me just going off on a wild goose chase of what could possibly be a justification for this as well. I just thought that was kind of interesting and popped in my head. Buddy, I just hope all these people find out about everything elite, the world's best <laughs> podcast about AEW. Uh, added that qualifier on there. I thought you were just going to leave it at best. Uh, I mean, it is the world's best podcast. I think that's fair. Okay. Okay. A uh, couple more double or nothing notes, unless you all have anything else you want to say about pay-per-view numbers. No. Number okay. good. Dave's math, I don't understand, but I'm going with. <laughs> yeah, and I only had like five minutes to digest it, so pretty tough. Um, all right, Mike Johnson, PW Insider. When, when I was writing this note for the show notes, I, even though I knew it was Mike Johnson, I wrote Mike Jones. Just my brain demands that I uh, talk about Mike Jones. So <laughs> <laughs> Impact prohibited Brian Cage from appearing at Double or Nothing. Dave confirmed this in The Observer. He was going to be in the Casino Battle Royale. <laughs> you see, you like how I did Royal and Royale in one word there? Casino Battle Royale. Uh, but Impact told him that his contract did not permit working there, even though he works for other indies. So I guess now we see smartly, I think, that some of these companies are, are not going to let their contracted talent at least uh, have anything to do with AEW. Yeah, uh, Brian Cage is like a good talent, so it would have been cool to see him involved here. But yeah, this is sort of what I expected. You know, uh, when we talked about Jordan Grace previously, that people aligned with Impact are not going to be able to be shared between promotions here. Um, you know, I, I don't know why Impact exists at this point, but, uh, you know, I, I guess they have to hold on to their few unique uh, talents or features. Well, the good news is that TJ Perkins is apparently going back to Impact, so we don't have to worry about seeing him show up in AEW. The bad news is they appear to not be freezing Eli Drake in his uh, contract. That is an anti-labor sort of point from me, uh, <laughs> but I was totally fine with them freezing Eli Drake in his contract for uh, breaching it and not wrestling a woman because uh, he's like not interesting. Yeah, a friend of the show, Rovert, I think also suggested that Eli Drake was going to be coming to AEW. Well, he just said Drake, so I wasn't sure if it was uh, OVO Drake or Eli Drake or Drake Younger, even. But if it's Eli Sir Drake. Sir Francis Drake. Just name ooh, him. Yeah, let's just keep going. Let's just drop some Drakes. Uh, but Eli Drake would be uh, would be pretty disappointing, I'd say. Of course. I mean, I'd find Jobber maybe, but whatever. Yeah. Of course, friend of the show, Rovert. Did whiff on the Joshi match being canceled at Double or Nothing. So, yeah, he doesn't like it when people have brought that up to him as well. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out if he listens. I'll have a DM after this. Okay. The Road to Double or Nothing epilogue. I'm not going to break down this episode because it was literally just going back through the, the show and there were some little comments here and there. 
the most fascinating part of it to me was that they panned the crowd and showed a woman in an elite Rhapsody shirt. Did you all see this or are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah. I saw it. So it uh, looks like, you know, the Queen Bohemian Rhapsody thing with all the four guys like floating heads. Yeah. Except it's the elite. Okay. Very weird and creepy. That's that's my take on it. Not my I thought this uh, I thought this episode was really pretty great. Um I especially liked the Awesome Kong promo in here. That was like a professional ass promo. Like you can see why she's like a successful actress uh in her free time now, I guess. Uh but she yeah, she like sold me on the whole promotion in her little promo there. Um the other part that jumped out at me was Kenny just obviously being very passionate about the Joshi there and then presenting the Joshi entrance in like super slow-mo was like, Oh yeah. It's like these women come across as stars in this moment right here. Um, so those are the two parts of this that jumped out at me. Parts that jumped out at me, uh, Sean Spears saying that he was having confidence problems coming into. Oh yeah. yeah. Or nothing. That was uh that was another thing where they succeeded in showing the human element here. And it's like, Oh wow. I've never, been so interested in Sean Spears, but they were like, hey, this guy is worried that nobody's going to fucking care when he walks out on that ramp. And then you go, oh, yeah, there's, he's like a human being. That is kind of interesting. Yeah, that was good. I mean, the guy's married to Peyton Royce, right? Yeah, he's doing fine. He's doing fine. And he's probably made a decent amount of money wrestling. So, uh, but I'm glad to hear that the fans responded to him and that this went well for him. I hope he's uh, feeling better. I did love the Kenny part. Um, I might be canceled for this, but I did love Mike Tyson laughing at Michael Nakazawa as promised. Uh, but I guess my favorite part was Big Dave popping up in the Los Ingobernables <laughs> t-shirt for this video. Hey, <laughs> you have to expect that they're like, Dave, we need you in here. And he only has like 12 shirts we've ever seen him in. It was either this or his tie-dye hoodie. So he was part of the t-shirt. I think he talked about it on The Observer and said something like, he had recorded what he thought was a different documentary and they dropped his clip in here, which is kind of funny. Uh, I'm sure he has gotten a million uh, tweets or whatever about people saying that he's on the AEW payroll now. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, I'm surprised if he likes LIJ so much that he's not higher on Naito because he always seems to, uh, you know, uh, downgrade Naito a bit when he's talking about New Japan. Anyway, he just he only has room for so many shirts or it's just like which shirts show off how ripped he is. I think mm. that's really all he cares about because so, that shirt just fits well and I don't blame him. Okay, uh, this does end with they're going over you know, some of the Mox uh, backstage promo from after Double or Nothing. And I think this was the first time we saw this Janela bit, right? No, it was no? in BT. No, it was at the end of his. No, we did see it. Shit, I don't remember. I don't remember either. But <laughs> I think it was at the end of one of the BTEs we did not cover over the last two weeks. Oh. Well, uh, anyway. yeah, maybe the be at the backstage at Double or Nothing one. Might right, have been yeah, that's what I think this one's from. Okay, well then, we don't have to go over it too much, but, you know, Janela shows up in his dressing room and there's a confrontation, but, or not a confrontation, but uh, we just get a, a little tease of the build between Mox and Joey Janela, so we got that going for us. So that's Double I, uh, or Nothing. I, I, on that episode as well, I popped huge when... They just transitioned it right into, oh, this is going to be an ongoing thing. Now it's Road to Fighter Fest. Oh, and they, yeah. They, they did a tease for a match, and then they just seamlessly gave you the logo. That was like, oh, this is like a professional production here. That was, I'm like, all right, these videos are like genuinely good pro wrestling builds, and they're going to keep doing these from, from big event to big event. Well, that's a, that's a good segue, Nate. And I hate when people say that on podcasts, so I wish I, had, wish I hadn't just now. But 
Let's talk about YouTube content quickly. The road Seems to like that's all we do. <laughs> Good point. The road to videos are on the Nightmare Family podcast uh, YouTube account, not podcast. And of course, BTE are on the BTE account, YouTube account. What do you all think about what concerns do you have about segmenting the content, putting them on different YouTube channels instead of hosting all of this on the AEW channel? I don't really care. I think if there's one argument to be made, uh, so I guess the two arguments would be, one, you can maybe get some of the BTE audience that's not shared on those other channels to get them uh, also sub subscribed there. Uh, uh, my argument for not doing it, I guess, would be you kind of um, quarantine BTE and it's like goofy comedy and, uh, you know, hand homemade DIY production style in its own little YouTube channel, like, you know, uh, as you would with like the Sammy Guevara vlogs or whatever. Uh, so I get that side of it. Like you just sort of get a little bit of compartmentalization where it puts you in a different frame of mind before watching whatever episode and you go, oh, this is a road to episode. This is going to be nice HBO 24-7 uh, uh, well-produced pro wrestling builds on this show. And then when you click over to BTE, you have a different expectation in mind. And I think that's kind of valuable. But shouldn't they just throw these road twos on the AEW account? I mean, they're yeah. I get what you're saying about BTE, but they, these are professionally produced and they build the AEW shows. Yeah, I I I'm with you on that. I'm also incredibly type A, so it bothers me to have to go between the two unless I'm getting the automatic recommendation to go after I'm watching a road two to watch the latest being the elite or not. I also think that it might be something that the Bucks made a big deal about getting their 100,000 uh, subscriber play button. Maybe they don't want to, maybe they want to cherish that for a little bit longer and not necessarily move everything over to the official All Elite Wrestling or TNT media account yet. I don't like it. I think that it's, they should consolidate, but that's also because I'm incredibly type A. All right. Well, just wanted to get some takes on that. I saw a lot of talk about segmenting content this week. So, you know, I thought we'd be remiss if we didn't. You hang out in different circles online than I do. <laughs> That's almost certainly true, since you're usually telling me about uh, K-pop controversies that I don't yeah. know anything about. Well, I'm just trying to keep you informed. I, I really appreciate it. I wish I knew how to find this content. I just, I don't know. All right. The next show, the next AEW show that's going to happen. We finally understand, I think, the sequence of shows in this company. Fighter Fest is up next. Fighter Fest is going to happen on June 29 in Daytona Beach. Uh, there are some tickets still available if you want to go live uh, to see this, along with the CEO Gaming Championships. And it was reported in The Observer this week that uh, both Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen will air on BR Live in some form, not going to be on pay-per-view. Uh, presumably either a lower priced I pay-per-view or as part of a streaming deal. We talked before about kind of the subscription passes they do on BR Live, and maybe they'll come up with something like that for these non-pay-per-view uh, AEW shows. No, uh, I think it'll be interesting because Fighter Fest, since it is a part of the CEO Gaming Championships and they have everything on Twitch already, and last year the New Japan uh, cross-CEO show was... Uh, it was done on Twitch as well. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some agreement to do it that way or if that they are just going to have it on the BR Live 
app. I'm I, I'm interested to see how it comes off here, and also if it's a if it's part of the uh, CEO Gaming Championships. I don't know if that means that we're going to be getting JR and Excalibur. We might be getting some fighting game uh, community uh, hosts. We might be getting some Golden Boy, who is a pretty famous guy who does Overwatch League and did the Rocks uh, sports reality show. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. And yeah, this was they really kind of got over the fact that Kenny is a gamer and that he's trying to do a nice touch for gamers during this in the first few minutes of this. Or was I the only one that I came away with like that? No, for sure. For sure. I really hope that they make JR do this show because I want JR to be forced <laughs> to go to a gaming championship. Okay, I just love that idea. All right, well, let's talk about this Road to Fighter Fest episode one. They do start with Cody. He's really putting over Kenny's skills in the esports game. Says he's <laughs> very competitive. I don't know, Mike. Is there any evidence that Kenny Omega is a, a top flight esports competitor? Well, he is sponsored by Razer, which is in a which is a peripherals company they do they do mice and keyboards and headsets but he's been a part of like fighting games for a while like he does when you said peripheral company i thought you meant like they're on the on the periphery <laughs> no, no like razor is a legit company okay. like they are like like it's a key money thing like if you've noticed I've like got a, i've got a razor keyboard and mouse right here they're yeah. very uh, obnoxiously styled yeah yeah pretty a lot nice of, to use a lot of bright neon a, a lot and they're pretty loud but yeah, he's a part of the fighting game community, which is part of the greater esports community. He did do a bunch of coverage for ESPN after, uh, in like the time before or the time between New Japan and All Elite Wrestling, where they had some tournaments in Japan. There was a big one that he did like commentary for. And he famously did like an intro video for Cody and Street Fighter. Not, not Cody Rhodes, a, a character Cody, but. He's like yeah. middle. He's like middle range player. Like he's never cashed, but I mean he's he has cred in the in the fighting game community though. Uh, there was a uh, Xavier Woods cameo in here, which is kind of funny. I missed that completely. Well, they showed uh, they showed some of the footage from when the elite played the New Day in Street Fighter, and had Xavier Woods there on fully on camera for a brief second, um, mm. which is just. You know, you, 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 I guess you kind of like to see it. It's kind of a little spice thrown into the wrestling war here. Um, I have no idea if he's any good at video games. He likes Earthbound, which is like a formative game for me. So in that sense, he's good. What I really liked here about this Cody promo is that he said, you know, this is a great experience for us or a great opportunity for us because there's not a lot of crossover between gaming fans and wrestling fans. And then by the end of the promo, he says, but there could be a lot of crossover between gaming fans and wrestling fans. So he really wasn't sure what uh, what road he wanted to go down. I like that. Uh, but then he also kind of favorably, he basically calls wrestling a fighting game, <laughs> which I mean, it is. Yeah. But I thought that was funny. Uh, the next segment is a Mox promo. And I'm assuming this is the first time we saw this video. I'm going to stick by it, whether it's true or not. And uh, he's working to set up the match with Joey Janela that's going to be at Fighter Fest. He <laughs> talks about how Joey Janela has said he wants to die in a wrestling ring, and Mox is like, yeah, I get that. I can see that. Relatable. Uh, this is another good Mox promo. A couple of lines that I wanted to highlight. He says, this is going to be like Amazon Prime for head trauma. <laughs> yeah, that went, over, that went over huge with everybody that saw this. Yeah. Okay, great. Great Excellent. line. Yes, and uh, he closed with, uh, with a warning to Joey to choose your words carefully. Make sure you're sure you want to become my enemy. 
Good stuff. Second, uh, be- uh, second best English language language promo in the business. Do we think? I mean, you're putting who first? Juice. I figured that's what you're going to say. Uh, Mox is better than Juice. No, that's my take. He's I didn't. Cool I didn't really Juice. love the. I didn't really love the New Japan post match promo. To be honest, it just, it's so genuine. You can't help but love it. I mean, again, that's all I look for. Really, is people appearing genuine in wrestling. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Moxley, it, it's fantastic that basically he did all these interviews talking about the broken WWE system and then compared that to AEW where he just does what he wants. He's basically making his own feuds or angles out of this shit. He talked about how immediately after the run in a double or nothing, they went and did three segments, which we've now seen all of them. And he was like, oh, I just, you know, we did three things in 10 minutes that were better than anything I've done in WWE in 10 years or whatever. Uh, and yeah, we just see that is actually true. Like, oh, he was at home working out on a punching bag, shot himself a little promo by putting the phone up. Uh, put your phone in uh, landscape, please. Um, yes. And yeah, it's another money promo. It's like, oh yeah, no, he's absolutely right. And this whole, you know, uh, 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 creative run by the wrestlers like actually seems viable now that we're seeing it in effect. And I- he showed up in New Japan and had the best match he's had probably since the shield broke up yeah and he cut a better promo than juice afterwards Ooh. because Ooh. juice defends a company when everyone should know that the company does not work out look out for the rights of the worker so juice uh, not as good as moxley i also like that moxley right. no, i hate that take uh, as, as one mean, of the young bucks once said on twitter uh, don't be, be a mark a, for yeah, yeah. Don't be a mark for the co- for the company you work for. Only be a mark for yourself. Yeah, uh, Moxley did the same thing in his post double or nothing promo where he talked about people in a different way. So he did. You're right. Like, I'm I'm standing by it. I also stand by <laughs> the fact that Moxley looked like that he should be a member of Great Bash Shield in 2008. He should with like the tights with the barbed wire around it. He should have been Togi Makabe's tag team partner in like 2008 World Tag League, and I think it's tremendous. I never got like at the height of the shield thing when all the all the women and or all the people who were attracted to men were like Gaga over Dean Ambrose. I never really got it. Uh, but when he came out for this match at uh, New Japan, I was like, oh, this guy's hot. I get it. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Haku on Twitter. Haku-san. Uh, he's like the DDT English oh, yeah. language liaison. Had some great tweets about, oh, yeah, no, somebody told him to get over in Japan uh, you throw middle fingers, you show off your thighs, and you bow to the crowd, and he did all those. He's going to be a great <laughs> success, uh, which I really enjoyed. I do. I liked the pants he had on at Double or Nothing, though. Uh, I'm I'm like a weird – I like Kier a lot. His his pants were pretty cool. So I hope we get distinct, you know, uh, distinct looks for him in each promotion here. We're going to find out at Fighter Fest, one, if he is wearing the trunks or if he's going pants and vest because it's probably going to be like some – uh, uh, um, some variation of a death match or a hardcore match, I guess, with Joey Janela. And we're also going to find out if AEW acknowledges that he's the current IWGP US champion because he did win the belt and those companies are not on a working agreement right now. But you have to think from AEW's perspective, why not? Like it makes him look better and it, you know, it kind of gives you more legitimacy and credibility to your promotion to act like it's a real wrestling promotion. And, you know, again, you're kind of playing nice with New Japan in the hopes of uh, getting some work out with them down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're saying, as to legitimacy, it's like our guys can go elsewhere and win titles. So I don't see why not. But I like the trunks. I think it's a good look for him. Uh, 
I think, I don't know. I'd be glad to see him kind of leave behind the wrestling in jeans thing or wrestling in pants thing because, you know, really divorces him from WWE. I think it makes sense to be like, okay, I'm going to walk out of the crowd at this show. It would probably be nice to have some similarities to how I looked before, like to give people an idea, even though I guess everybody was expecting Mox to come out at some point. Uh, But I was glad to see him show up in New Japan in a totally different look, you know, that just looks like nothing we've seen from him in the last decade. All right, the next segment in uh, the Road to Fighter Fest, Cody watching a Darby Darby video. This is a classic Road to segment where Cody sits at the conference table, watches some video, QT, uh, eats an apple, and uh, we get some uh, banter. They do a little uh, focus with, or a feature, I don't know what I want to say here, with QT, who says he doesn't really agree with the match because Darby has nothing to lose. So he's worried that uh, Cody might uh, lose because Darby will come out, uh, you know, guns blazing. And he doesn't want Cody to go in to fight for the Fallen uh, in his tag match with his brother against the Young Bucks. Coming off a loss to someone making their AEW debut. thought that was a funny line because, you know, basically everyone is is making their AEW debuts over these couple of shows. Uh, But I get it. And we get the same little interview with Cody. And uh, his comment on the throne controversy, and he says that what it was act- what it actually meant was that he was going to be a wrestler first, not an executive. And this match with Darby is a uh, further part of that. So that is also what he told John Moxley, according to Moxley's uh, Las Vegas radio interview. That That's is right. a, a comment on not being an executive, but being a wrestler instead. Um I think that's probably bullshit, but you yes. kind of it kind of works both ways. So you may as well, um, you know, roll with it. I guess uh, it, it's kind of you know it's kind of like a cheeky thing to deny the that it, the obvious truth is not the truth. Um, it's also like if Darby has ever had anything to lose, it's probably now. Like you know, he's a he's a couple weeks removed from being an independent wrestler who was probably not making a lot of money for each shot. Before that, he was like a homeless independent wrestler working out of his car and staying with his uncle or, you know, Sammy Callahan or whoever. Now he has, yeah, now he has uh, like a real money contract and a wife. So like now more than ever, he probably has things further down the line in his life to look forward to. Uh, But I, you know, it's still, you can still totally buy it as the Darby character because, you know, we know he was really living that life, uh, you know, a few months or years ago. The other thing that came out of this little segment was on the the whiteboard in the back was they like to give us little little clues on the whiteboard. And we see Wardlow vignette, which apparently refers to a wrestler from Cleveland, Michael Wardlow, 6'2", 250. And he has worked AIW, Warrior Wrestling, House of Hardcore. I've never seen him. Uh, don't know much about him. His cage match listing didn't uh, jump off the page at me, but he's a big guy. He's yeah, been- I saw him uh, uh, at Warrior Wrestling, the one Warrior Wrestling event I went to. I, I think he wrestled Brian Cage in the main for the title. Um, he and I think the best thing I can say about him from that is he like looks like a major league wrestler. He's got good gear. He's got you know size that he's comparable to Brian Cage in the ring. There, uh, he seems like a real athlete. So that's all you know stuff to his credit. Uh, as for the actual match, it was sort of like. The crowd was all people who came to see, uh, you know, Austin Aries or Eddie Edwards or uh, the Lucha Brothers or whatever other luchador they had on that show. 
So if they didn't know him and it was kind of like, oh, you're putting like the unknown indie guy in the title match with Brian Cage, it kind of didn't work because of that expectation. Um, but I, you know, I totally believe that if they, if he's got any in-ring talent at all, that they can, you know, get him over on BTE or on these Road 2 shows and uh, he can be a totally, totally valid uh, addition to the roster. I got to say coming out of all, not all in, coming out of double or nothing, I'm just, I'm going to give these guys the benefit of the doubt for now. Uh, let's see where it goes. If they think they can do something with this guy, then uh, I'm going to go along for the ride. He's a member of the Dreamer Versed, so I trust Ooh. it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I also just took a look while y'all were talking about Darby. There are very few tickets left for Fire Fest. It is that basically nothing in, on the floor area. There's 15 tickets, and they're all there. Very expensive resale. And then you're getting up into the corners of the building. So at least for... I know there are some areas that they have not put tickets up for, but so far there are very few tickets remaining for Fighter Fest, and I wouldn't be surprised to see if it's sold out by the time that it comes up on the 29th. All right, and just to you know, keep everybody abreast of the upcoming schedule, so there's going to be Fighter Fest June 29. Then we have Fight for the Fallen on July 13 in Jacksonville. You can still get tickets for that. The card that we know so far is going to be Brandy Rhodes versus Allie, Kenny Omega versus Shima, and Cody and Dustin Rhodes versus the Young Bucks. Then uh, on August 31, we'll have All Out. That'll be the next big pay-per-view at the Sears Center in Chicago, the same site as All In. Tickets go on sale June 14. So that means our next episode should be the day before that. So hopefully we'll have uh, we'll be able to talk about that a little bit. And the only match I believe that we know so far is we got Hangman Page versus Chris Jericho for the inaugural AEW Championship. All right. Do we think uh, do we think the Fighter Fest is just the the four announced matches at this point? It was kind of an abbreviated show last year, so. Hmm. I think that they're going to flush that out with some some undercard. I would expect a few more matches. Okay. It'd be weird to just do four matches, I think, and they've got a big roster, so. I'm kind of expecting it to be a, a shorter abbreviated show. I guess. Well, I guess we'll see if it's you know if they're going BR Live, thirty bucks, thirty five bucks, or something. Uh, I think people are going to want to see more than four matches. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, anywhere between six, seven matches would be reasonable and still pretty short. I mean, I don't expect like Nakazawa and Jabele to go on for 45 minutes. Uh, that might be the semi-main at this point with all that build. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I just don't know how long they can go. Okay, we got uh, just some various things to talk about. Uh, OWE. And the, the visa issue, Mike, of course, if you're a new listener, we had a big uptick in listeners for the Double or Nothing review. So hopefully you guys came back for more. If you don't know, Mike is our OWE expert. So, <laughs> Mike, tell us uh, there's a new report on the OWE visa situation. Tell me what we know. Yeah, this was something that was kind of in the woodwork for the weeks leading up to over an uh, to double or nothing, especially with the six-man tag that SCU ended up going against Stronghearts. Originally, that was supposed to be SCU versus Shima and two of his Chinese students. But there, as it's come out, and it's kind of been this big story of 2019 in wrestling, there was a huge visa issue. And the uh, South China Morning Post, as uh, reported by Nicholas Atkin, had interviews with the uh, vice president of OWE, Michael Nee, And basically the, the whole thing was that they had all their paperwork in and I 
have that there were some links to stuff that like we've seen like the paperwork and some of it involves the invitation letters from AEW to OWE because it's showing that yes this company will be responsible for you while you're in the country and the idea was that there was going to be four Chinese wrestlers that were invited to double or nothing the only one that I know of because I saw the letter of was Mr. T cool but and that could have just been just a blanket letter they've given out to everyone there but there are four wrestlers that were going to be on the show. I assume that probably meant that Shima's two partners in the six-man tag, and then probably two more in the Casino Battle Royale. And probably in that case, T-Hawk and Olinda Men would have been in that. Or there was the talk of that scramble match that was might have had Hio Del Vikingo in it as well. So it, it was an article mainly with Michael Nee talking about how they've just had issues. They went through all the paperwork tw- twice for the visas and there's some cool photos there of SCU and other members of OWE with AEW in Shanghai. And the just kind of like the overall idea is that they've been because of this and that they have been doing just overall general expansion into North America, that they've finalized a deal with smash wrestling in Toronto for, I believe it's two shows in August. Like they're doing a huge kind of wrestling weekend in August in Toronto and that they are hoping to get stuff kind of figured out by the time that they're having all out at the end of August. So it, it just kind of was confirmation and more of a public confirmation of what we knew and what we were suspecting over the last few weeks when we weren't getting the exact names of, okay, who are the Chinese students that are going to come with Shima to double or nothing. All right. That's our OWE report. I hope that they... Get it worked out and, uh, you know, the the great folks, the friends of the show and the U.S. government uh, get this worked out and let them come over. All right. I guess we already talked some about John Moxley and his uh, actually wrestling, but he did some more stuff this week. He, of course, wrestled for New Japan Pro Wrestling at the Best of Super Junior Finals, and he defeated Juice Robinson for the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Champion. They announced that he's going to wrestle Shota Umino at uh, Dominion on June 9, I believe. So right back into it. Uh, He also gave a lot more interviews (laughs) since the the Talk is Jericho interview. And I guess the most interesting thing, at least to me, and I know Nate pointed this out on the the Everything Elite podcast uh, Twitter account, could not come up with that, that uh, Dusty Rhodes actually conceived of the Viper Room vignettes. Yeah, Moxley talked about this, and um, he said Dusty would actually always call it the Viper Club, even though it's the Viper Room. Um, but yeah, just like, you know, almost poetic or something that Dusty, this, uh, you know, legend of the territories who was famously mistreated by the WWE and always the butt of Vince McMahon's jokes, um, you know, had his son be like the, uh, the, the, the scion or the figurehead of this new promotion that's challenging Vince. And this first guy they bring in is, you know, one of, one of Dusty Rhodes' acolytes from uh, both his days watching wrestling and from uh, being in FCW or NXT. Uh, so that was just a cool note. I know, Nate, that uh, you're very excited about Mox right now, but did, did you get all that in on, your, on our interview talk earlier? Um, let's see. What else to um, say about John Moxley? Yeah, he's... Uh, so <laughs> I guess just I would add that I, I was totally out on John Moxley, you know, o- over the last few years. 
um, when the shield had first come up and my casual friends were like actually interested in wrestling for a little bit there because, you know, in the build up to WrestleMania 30, they had Daniel Bryan, everything was actually like kind of hot. Um, you know, as soon as that ended and John Moxley was reduced to like the singles wrestler, uh, who is, you know, most known for his endurance on the road more so than his matches or how they presented him or anything. I was just like totally out on him. I was like, okay, this guy can't have an interesting match. Uh, the character is a total goofball. Um, I have no interest in ever seeing this guy again. Really much like CJ Parker in NXT when he had the goofy protester gimmick that was like aping Black Lives Matter and just being a bad, goofy 80s WWF villain. Um, and it's just remarkable how you leave that system and you're able to ply your trade the way that you want to, to quote Moxley. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, these guys were great professional wrestlers that just got sucked into this system that turns you into just a little pawn of Vince McMahon's to act out his weird bodily function humor and then, you know, take 1,600 bumps in 300 days or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it's fucking great that good wrestlers don't have to be exclusive there anymore. Yeah, how many examples do we have now of guys that Vince just pigeonholed as something that they weren't? I mean, just in this promotion. I mean, look at at, at Cody. You know, someone who was pigeonholed as being one thing, and it you know it turns out that he's got a lot more to offer. Obviously, Mox is one who had a lot more to offer than he was allowed to show in WWE. Juice is a great example. Uh, even I, this isn't that Vince had him pigeonholed, but it's interesting to see you know Chris Jericho talk about that he is this one thing in WWE, and it took getting out of there to realize other stuff that he could do, you know, different things that he could bring to wrestling, even after wrestling for, you know, almost 30 years or whatever. So just what a toxic place. It's, <laughs> it's very exciting to see people being able to, uh, as Mox said, uh, play their music their way. Yeah. And like another example was Pac originally was supposed to be a Mighty Mouse cartoon character. Like it's like hearing these interviews and it's the exact like 180 of like CM Punk who's, love of wrestling was killed by this. We have John Moxley, who's like, no, I just apparently like when he was injured at home, he watched a whole lot of big Japan and just other wrestling and he re reinvigorated him. And it's great. So I really just love thinking about how, like when you would go on uh Rutube to watch big Japan and it's like 95 people watch this big Japan main event. And I just know that it was me and uh, John Moxley. So, <laughs> I, I really like the idea that, <laughs> Maybe he was having an internet outage and he, it might have been that he was at home with like his injury, him like texting Renee going, Renee, I'm trying to watch this uh, Yuji Hino match. What's going on with the internet here? I try to restart it. I have to watch this. Ask Cesaro if he has another copy of this Yuji Hino match. I don't know why I think he would be a big Yuji Hino fan. I just think that that would be a funny person to him to text his wife about because he didn't have internet issues while he was injured at home. He definitely yeah. doesn't understand like technology. Yeah, Renee's definitely the tech head in the household. That's yeah. without a doubt. Um, yeah, it just and there's also a funny bit on the Wade Keller interview uh, where they talk about watching the Kenny Omega documentary. And it's like, oh yeah, we watched it, and it's like, oh yeah, he's talking about you know WWE three hour a week talent Renee Young watching this other professional wrestling stuff, which is kind of novel um, and fun. Uh, but yeah, it's like philosophically, wrestling is best when you it's it's a fight promotion marketing business where you do best by accenting the strengths of the performers and what they 
uniquely bring to the table and the, and the unique parts of the audience that want to see them and, and you highlight their strengths. And that's what AEW hopefully will do. Whereas the WWE system is basically all these people are cogs in a machine to fit into Vince McMahon's demented vision. They did a match of the year contender between Cody Rhodes and a 50 year old Dustin Rhodes. Pretty impressive. IMO. Oh, other news. Hey man, Paige got a new dog folks. Looks to be yeah. a Labradoodle. This is him, I think, taking the taking a page from Tanahashi's playbook because uh, yeah. the, the dog looks like Tanahashi's almost. That's true. And now he can just post, you know, hunk selfies with his dog, and he's going to be the biggest star in the company. That's Real true. ace power move. Yes, ace man page. Oh, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. I will. Uh, I am sad. We'll never see the the Tanahashi taking Adam Page under his wing storyline that they were teasing when he was in the G1. Uh, last year, that would have been a nice thing. So hopefully at some point they can, you know, bring that back together. Uh, on the topic of the G1, it does seem like John Moxley, the evidence is mounting that he's uh, slated for the G1, which again is just like, you know, you just have to appreciate the uh, total, I don't know, balls on that guy to like quit the WWE and go like, fuck this. I'm doing the goddamn G1. I'm not doing signings and conventions and, uh, you know, a, a handful of wrestling dates like uh, Ryback or whatever. Like, I'm doing the G1. I'm doing it immediately. My theory is that he's going to be exclusive when TV starts. And so it's just kind of like maybe this is his only chance to do the G1. Uh, so he's taking it, which which rules. Could be the case. Um, on that note, it does seem uh, Luchasaurus did say that he is doing indie dates until TV starts. So it does seem like our, I guess, hopes about independent contracting and guys being able to, uh, you know, stay and freelance a little bit, even while under AEW contract may not be fulfilled, which would be too bad because we'd hate to see another, um, you know, distinction where these people are being treated as independent contractors when they really are uh, vital to the company and should be considered employees. Uh, there have also, I mean, people that have talked to some of these talents have also said things like, oh, you know, we're still going to be able to work friendly indies or, you know, uh, uh, negotiate internationally or do friendly indies when things are slow, which you imagine is places like new where we're seeing a lot of these talents come from or a PWG or something like that. Um, but you know, you always, you don't want it to be, you're free to do these things at the whims of your employer. You would like that to be <laughs> hard coded. So you have the right to do these things and your employer can't say shit. And trust that we will bury their asses if it turns out that they are basically employing these people, but not providing them the benefits of employment, like, you know, workers' compensation, health insurance, all those good things. So we will uh, uh, take them to task if that's the case. It seems like, so we saw that Brandon Keller signed two contracts, and it seems like that's how they're sort of stretching right now. You have your probably independent contractors, maybe as a wrestler. And then he's got an office position also where he's a content producer. And that's how they're uh, <laughs> saving themselves from giving all the wrestlers the benefits of employ employment, but, you know, still covering the people that are um, more of a priority for them uh, and, you know, shooting content and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, depending on how much of the workforce they've got covered, maybe that's a band aid. Um, but I, you know, again, it remains to be seen, I guess, and we'll see what happens come TV time. Yeah. It's pretty shitty. I mean, if, if that's, what's going to happen, uh, in my opinion, anyway, I just think if, which we don't know yet, but if these guys are going to be exclusive, then they have to have 
the benefits that all other employees have. So uh, last thing, the last kind of random note that I wanted to talk about was there was a, a really good story in Variety about Awesome Kong, interview with her. She talked a lot about her run on Glow, and it just it's pretty fascinating from the perspective of her being a black woman and the fact that, you know, the first gimmick she was offered was had the word Kong in it, which, you know, speaking to my privilege, it hadn't really occurred to me how uh, racially coded that could be. And she talked about how she acknowledged that, you know, when it was first offered to her, but she decided that, uh, you know, she had the, the right to make the best of it, uh, just like any any white person was. She talked about King Kong Bundy, for example, you know, she's like, I could do the same thing. So uh, it just humanized her even more, uh, showed that she's um, just a more interesting. I didn't know a lot about her. So it's just she's an interesting person. And uh, I think that article's worth checking out. All right. I think it's time to get into BTE, Nate. All right, sweet. Um, anybody catch the name of the episode? This episode is live. This episode is live. Okay, yes. Uh, so this started off with the third of the Moxley post double or nothing vignettes that they shot as he discussed on a number of different podcasts and stuff. It starts with the Bucks putting out their fists and then the camera pulls back to reveal that they are waiting for John Moxley to throw his fist into the pile and do the shield fist bump. Um, this was pretty cute. Uh, I thought Nick Jackson was uh, unusually funny in this. He's not usually this funny, but just his little like hyped up comments where he's like, come on, get in here. It was like actually <laughs> funny. Yeah. I, I laughed out loud at this. I thought it was good. Yeah. Moxley sold it really well too. Yes. Yeah. So Moxley is not having it. He walks off camera. Uh, and they're like, oh, well, that was awkward. Uh, this was the cold open and it was pretty much the highlight of the whole episode. Uh, but then we go to the Bucks who are sitting in their rocking chairs by the Cracker Barrel barrel. I thought this was at a Cracker Barrel as they used to film a lot of being elite segments outside of Cracker Barrel. But no, they've just set up a miniature Cracker Barrel sitting area outside their home. I'm pretty sure is the case. <laughs> so that's uh, something. The chairs threw me off for a second too. Yeah, I wonder if those are authentic Cracker Barrel rocking chairs. Uh, so Mrs. Matt it, it didn't look like it. As someone who frequents the Cracker Barrel, they didn't look like it to me. Good to know. About you mostly. All right. Uh, so Mrs. <laughs> Matt the French up. toast. Thanks. She uh, confronts the young bucks and are like, "Oh, you guys were buddying up to Moxley, even though he had just, you know, uh, beat the shit out of and thrown Kenny Omega off the poker chips." Um, so they're like, uh, they try to deny it for a little bit and they're like, oh, well, we can't cut the cold open because this episode is already live. And they point at the camera. Um, so a little, little fourth wall breaking to suggest that it's live or something. This was, I think this is the sort of thing I appreciate because you're like, oh yeah, why would they be trying to buddy up to and do the shield thing with John Moxley when he just, uh, attacked their friend and they just, they make the little half effort toward retconning that, which you would not see in the other company. Um, Dave Meltzer had just a fit of a time trying to make sense of this. He was, you know, sometimes you, you get the, the perception that everything he thinks is based on whatever mood he happened to be in. And on this one, he was just like super confused and thought this was all a mess. Like it was pretty clear, you know, regardless of how funny you might think it was. All right. We've got, uh, Leva Bates, the librarian and Peter Avalon, the librarian passing each other in the, uh, in the MGM somewhere backstage. They basically do that old Marx Brothers bit where they do the actions and the other person does the mirror of the actions because the gimmick, of course, is that they share the same gimmick. Um, they shush each other. 
pretty pretty down on the librarian story at this point. Kind of wild that Leva Bates has like a it seems to have like a big contract in a major league wrestling company. This was a dud. Yeah, I got a dud. All where right, do, we got- where do we think this? Like really, I know the 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 kayfabe story is like Tony Khan wanted a librarian. Where, where did this idea come from? It's like such a misfire that it's just hard to understand how they would have come up with this really terrible idea and then stuck with it. I thought the initial premise was pretty funny, but I I I don't know where it could go because I I don't think they're doing intergender in this company, so they're not going to be a tag team of librarians. Probably that would be a surprise. I don't know. Time to drop it. Just. Ignore it. Pretend it never happened. Yeah. Uh, it, give it a give it a write off. Have one of them uh, discover die. that they hate books or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cute thing when they were trying to do stuff for like engagement and like fan engagement, but since then, just I don't know. Yeah, big one of them allergic. I don't care. I just it's just not funny and not good. All right, we've got uh, Jabaley. Alex, I think is his name. Jabaley, who's working out and he's chanting Michael Nakazawa's name. Um, cause he's trying to get psyched up for his big match with Michael Nakazawa. Uh, he's, but he's cheating on all of his workout moves. He's, uh, like standing while he's doing pull-ups and then he's doing push-ups while he's got his knees down. Uh, he's lifting light weights and then we pull back and see that Matt Jackson is also there working out, lifting heavier weights. And he is also getting into this, uh, this chant of Michael Nakazawa cause they have this ongoing obsession. I love that this is just in like a regular ass gym. And there's like this woman behind them who <laughs> seems to be kind of looking on like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, they have no idea. This is a huge feud for a giant wrestling company. That's right. <laughs> All right. And then we've got uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. This appears to be an ongoing duo now. They've tweeted about it also that uh, Jungle Boy is going to ride around on Luchasaurus's shoulders. <laughs> um, they're doing like historical facts and, and Luchasaurus asks, when did the United States declare its independence? And he does a swerve and says, oh, it's actually when Lex Luger slammed Yokozuna. Uh, Rick Knox was like, no, it's not right. But Luchasaurus was like, no, I have a master's degree. Uh, I didn't like this either. This was nothing to me. I don't really, okay, he's like, he has a weird dinosaur gimmick, but he's actually smart. Um, Okay. I just love the tag team. I think it's a great tag team of Luchasaur, of a giant luchador, dinosaur and then a <laughs> kid who thinks that he is from the jungle when his dad was luke perry i think this tag team rules i think people that think it's bad are dumb because this is a fun lower card tag team and you're going to need to have someone lose matches why not have it be luke perry luke perry's son before you build him up as like a big star i just think luchasaurus should have never talked yeah i'm not opposed to that i do like jungle boy is having a really uh, broad, old school character, even though everybody knows who he is. That to me is very appealing for whatever reason. Like he just has kind of an old school sensibility. But uh, yeah, the the smart dinosaur thing is stupid to me. Okay. Uh, Scorpio Sky is doing the BTE mailbag and he wants to know who came up with the idea, uh, the name SCU. Uh, he reveals that it was Nick Jackson, but Christopher Daniels hated the idea of using SCU because SCU is a popular website for the Southern California wrestling scene, but they ended up getting permission to use the name. And now it, of course, uh, got them super over. All right. And now we go to Brandon Cutler, who's doing a DBT mailbag. He's apparently now main cast on this show um, after being, you know, presumably just the cameraman for however many episodes. Uh, the question is basically, how'd you feel about getting your 
wrestling contract. And he's like, oh, I was super happy. Nothing here at all. All right. Now they do a Cracker Barrel ad for like fried chicken and they have like a fried chicken float. It's like a drumstick, I think, with a bite out of it. Um, this, I guess you just admire their workmanship here. Like, yeah, these guys really got a Cracker Barrel endorsement from their web series from Ring of Honor. So the interesting thing to me about this is they said that Cracker Barrel did the catering for double or nothing. Okay. What, what, what kind of food did they have at catering? That's really heavy stuff to cater. <laughs> like I'd want to take a nap after going through that. Like just oh, a lot of heavy carbs there, a lot of biscuits. Yeah, I mean, was Kenny Omega? That's why Kenny Omega lost. He was eating biscuits and gravy before the main event. There you go. There's the culprit. Too many chicken tendies. <laughs> okay. Did they, was- bring, did they bring the little uh, game, the little peg game? Were were those backstage? Are you, do you guys go to Cracker Barrel? No, oh, yeah. oh, okay. they're saving it for Joey Janela versus John Moxley. They're going to use that. They're going to glue the golf tees, and that's a perfect deathmatch weapon. That's great, Nate. Have you ever been to a Cracker Barrel? Maybe uh, in elementary school or something. Yeah, it's more of a southern thing. I know. I'm sure Mike has. has oh been. yeah, I like that's. It's either that or Waffle House when you're on the highway. I mean, yeah, it's, you see it at every highway exit. I don't know that it's. Like there is one up here that they went to for before all in, um, but yeah, I would uh, never, never uh, felt the need to go on my own. I often go on my own when I'm on the road for depositions and uh, just stop at a little Cracker Barrel for a little breakfast. It's very nice. I mean, I'm a Waffle House person. This is canon for me, but you know they have candy there. They have good candy at the gift shop. They do. Yeah. I'm an IHOP guy. If we're if we're doing IHOP versus Waffle House, I'm an all right. IHOP. I'm ending the show now, guys. Thank you for two <laughs> episodes because that is some prime sacrilege. Yeah, no, I think I'm an IHOP guy too because people. Oh yeah, people do late late night IHOP back in the day. Yeah, I am offended and accosted on so many different. No, Waffle House. You go to a Waffle House because it's. You get the exact same thing wherever you go. You go find the good Waffle House that, you know, at 3 a.m., even though there might be a drunken fight, though, that the waiters there will take care of you and you get your order down pat. IHOP is gross. I mean, you might get tetanus at Waffle House. Where's this tetanus thing? Is this a Joe Lanza thing? Is this a Joe Lanza thing that that just because Joe Lanza's from Jersey and and he's maybe been to one bad Waffle House that he thinks that Waffle Houses are all garbage? I I mean, I I think part of the charm of Waffle House is that it's dirty, right? I mean, it's not like spick and span and clean, but neither are like diners. I've been to more gross IHOPs than I've been to gross Waffle Houses. Mm, strong take. Okay. I'm defensive about Waffle House. I see that. a little bit. Sorry, Nate. Sorry. Sorry. I get worked up there, guys. I apologize. <laughs> On behalf of the show and myself, I apologize. And I apologize for Aaron's comments about Waffle House to the Waffle House Corporation. <laughs> wow. Okay. MJF uh, walks in on Joey Ryan, who is also doing a little workout. Uh, he, again, has like small weights, which really Dave was not having a, a good time figuring this out. He's like, they did the same small weight bit in two things. It's like, Dave, they're just fucking shooting these on their phone. Relax. Um, and he, I'm sure he was offended by the idea of lifting light. Um, so MJF berates him. And Joey's like, damn, I'm getting roasted when I don't even work there. So then they run the clip from Joey's Twitter where he announces that he's staying independent instead of signing anywhere. Uh, apparently turned down WWE and presumably also AEW. Okay, um, that's fine. I think that's a win for everybody. 
Um, I thought the your Rick Rude as a, if he were a backyarder line was funny. No, it was not me. No, that's what MJF said to Joey Ryan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't catch it, I don't think. Maybe I did. It was funny. That's all. All right. And then finally, we've got Christopher Daniels and Kazarian in a hotel room. They get a phone call. It's Shima calling Christopher Daniels. And uh, we hear Christopher's side of the conversation. He's speaking in, you know, uh, rudimentary Japanese back to Shima. Um, and basically gets off the phone and says, oh, wow, uh, you know, Shima wants to have another match. And Kaz is like, all right, that, yeah, I'm ready to wrestle Stronghearts again. That match kicked ass. And Christopher Daniels says, no, he just wants a singles match with me. And Kaz says, oh, well, you know, what else did he say? And the joke is Christopher Daniels says, I have no idea. I don't speak Japanese. So this, now this, <laughs> this segment did pop Dave Meltzer. He thought this was a riot. He explained it much like I just did to Brian Alvarez. And then Alvarez was like, yep, all right. Dave, I'm trying to get back to my family. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it doesn't, the bit doesn't really make sense since Shima's uh, Chinese. So I uh, don't really get the Japanese line, I guess. I get what you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Junk, folks. What do you think this match is going to happen? I mean, Shima's already booked for Fight for the Fallen. Do you think he's going to do this at Firefest? Do you think this might be something to flush out the card? Maybe it's all out. Could be yeah, all out. Sounds like an all out match to me. I'd be down for that at all out. I feel like that. I mean, Daniels is an original Chicago guy. Uh, Shima's big match in the United States was at the Chicago WrestleMania weekend six man. Mm-hmm. I like that. That that's some good canon to build upon. Although SCU, what's I'm sorry, Nate. What just said Chicago icons? Yes, it, it just right. SCU is so over. Mm-hmm. You just hate to do a big show like this and not put SCU on it. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, especially with, I mean, if we think that Fighter Fest is getting close to like four to six matches that might do it. I mean, is this a this is a match that you have in your holster? Use it at in Chicago where you have two big Chicago Chicago icons, Shima and the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels. You know, <laughs> the Flower of Evil versus the Fallen Angel. There we go. Put it on the poster, folks. PWTs, draw that shit up. All right. Well, I think that's everything uh, from the Elite Extended Universe this week. Anything else, gentlemen? No, I've got nothing else. I got to uh, get back to these succulents. Okay. I have a succulent report next week. Yeah. Okay, so hopefully they'll still be alive. I'm, I think I'm not supposed to water them for like two weeks now. So we'll check in. That's, instead of putting it on the calendar, we'll just check in on the, on the succulents every week here. And then I'll remember. That's great. There we go. Okay. Well, I just want to remind everyone to make sure that you're subscribing to the show. You can get us on our feed that uh, you can find on the podcast app of your choice, or you can get us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, along with all the other shows on the network. You can follow us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. You can follow me. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya with two eyes, like Don Fuji. And also remember that if you have any free time this week, be nice to the real friend of the show, Ogan, who I promised I would shout out this week. <laughs> Huge friend of the show. Maybe the biggest friend of the show. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right. Shout out to Ogan. Uh, he's a real one. Ogan's a real one. I think that's it for this week. So for Nate, for Mike, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time.